must not go back to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. That help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and we are discussing the final chapter (gasps) of Chamber of Secrets. Oh my goodness. Anna's back with us. Hi. And uh, this title of the chapter is Dobby's Reward. And uh, I just can't believe we're at the end of Chamber of Secrets. It's actually shocking to me. Mind-blowing. Yeah. It's absolutely mind-blowing. I love this book. Uh, So stick with us when we get to the spoilers, and we'll kind of just give our overall thoughts of Chamber of Secrets as a book, um, where this was going, and and all of our kind of two cents about it. So um, stick around for that. But we're going to kick it off with... We have this epic meeting, I believe, in McGonagall's office, mm-hmm. right? So yep. it's McGonagall's office, and it starts out with just Molly rushing uh, Ginny. Understandably um, so. And understandably so. And obviously you have McGonagall, Dumbledore, and then uh, Mo- Molly and Arthur are also there. When this interesting uh, quartet walks in, uh, you have... <laughs> Harry, who looks like he's been in Fight Club. Yeah. Uh, he slipped through a zombie movie. Yeah. Um, then you have Ron, who probably looks like Ron. And then you have Ginny, who, again, looks like she's been through it. Mm. Because she has been. And then Lockhart. So, and then Fox just swoops in and takes a spot promptly on Dumbledore's shoulder. Like, As he should. Nothing ever happened. He's like, yeah, I just saved everything, but uh, no big deal. this is literally like a Wednesday for me, so <laughs> whatever. I do this eight. stuff all the time because uh, I'm awesome. Anyway, I love Fox. Anyway, uh, yeah, so they have this big meeting <laughs> and Harry has the tact, at least, to feel like I need to tell everybody what just happened. And I'm the only one that can do it. Well, they kind of tell him. Yeah, but he also has the tact of, like, should I save Ginny the yeah. the trauma of going through and just airing out all of her dirty laundry? And he with... makes it a long time without even bringing Ginny into it. Yeah, I, he he goes a long time, but I think at this point he's just like, you know what? Why? Why do I just sugarcoat everything? No, I hear voices in the walls. <laughs> it's a problem. That kind of kicked this whole thing off. And, and then he goes into this long story about... Well, he also finally knows he's not actually there of Slytherin, so he's not afraid to admit it anymore. Yeah, and he feels like he's in a, a safe space um, for the first time in a little <laughs> little while. And and Dumbledore. I mean, he literally, he just spent... Uh, a good time in the chamber saying how Dumbledore is the reason that none of this usually happens. I liked the line when it finally comes to the point where he can't any longer avoid mentioning Ginny. The line was that he instinctively looked to Dumbledore. Like, Harry just always, it's always about, Dumbledore is his safe place. Yeah, and we, yeah, and we say that, you know, Dumbledore has this kind of knack for... Uh, just picking up on what's going on, and he's like, "I got you. Like, don't don't worry about this. I'll smooth over the yeah. whatever yeah. murky details there might be. We'll smooth that over. Just <laughs> like, I got you. Yeah, I got you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, when they're going through this, and Harry is describing what's going on, could you imagine being Molly and Arthur listening to this? And they're like, no. "I'm sorry, yeah. who?" What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Because uh, they have... The roller coaster of their emotions. They think their daughter's dead. Now their daughter's alive. They know Ron must be missing, I think, by this point. They probably know Ron and Harry went looking for Ginny. So now have they lost two children? Okay, both of their children are safe. Now Voldemort's... Out. Yeah, roller coaster. Yeah. And they Our obviously parents. have a much deeper understanding of 
what Voldy means, and when that name is invoked. As a mother, she is very concerned. Yes, she is. Uh, but yes, the danger that that name presents. And uh, Dumbledore kind of goes into an explanation of why Tom Riddle means Voldy. Uh, it's because they are the same person. Not many people know that. Right. Um, so here's that piece of information that now these characters are getting. And, well, then he just has this really interesting line of, but my sources say he's in Albania. <laughs> Which is just the coolest James Bond line ever. <laughs> oh my gosh. If A comparison between Alvin Sommelier and James Bond. <laughs> is it not, wow. though? It's like the coolest... Oh. Just silkiest, like, don't worry, my sources say he's in Albania. <laughs> I'm sorry, I still can't make that visual comparison. You don't have a Daniel Craig or, like, Pierce Brosnan no. view Sean of, Sean like, Connery. Sean no, Connery. No. Yeah. I would have enjoyed Sean Connery as Albus Dumbledore. That would have been but... a Dumbledore. That would have been a whole other <laughs> SNL segment. there we go. There we go. <laughs> Casting issues solved. R.I.P. Yeah. It struck me, he did a really good job of kind of protecting and defending Ginny because, like, Molly and Arthur were so like, oh my god, what what do you mean, Voldemort and our daughter? And he was just like, no, this isn't Ginny's fault. Ginny, you go and get some hot cocoa. And that's all. I was just, I was proud of Dumbledore. He did a good job. He does a good job of just shutting down uh, panic. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it's a testament to his presence more than anything else of just like, hey, we're good. Everything's fine. The students in the hospital wing are being restored. Hermione's okay. Which Ron was the first one to uh, acknowledge, which was great. And um, yeah, so he just has a great presence of just like, we're good. We got this. Go take care of yourself. Yeah. No one's blaming her. No one's blaming Harry or Ron or whoever else. It's like we know the we know the culprit. We'll take care of it. Yeah. So it. it's it's a great it's one of the great moments from from him. And he you know shoot he has so, so many so many. I also just wasn't expecting you to go down a James Bond <laughs> road when I had that thought. In our last episode, you had Zorro and Indiana Jones, and now I brought up James Bond. So, three of the best characters ever. We know you come here for the pop culture references. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, no, but it was such a sly line that he used. Of, you know, my sources say, "Okay, all right." Also, uh, this is this is a really cool thing that he said. Um, Riddle the quote. Word for word here. Most brilliant student Hogwarts has ever seen. Coming from Dumbledore, yeah. who, by the way, attended Hogwarts. Yeah. That's a heavy statement that he, I'm sure he doesn't toss that around. Oh, of course not. He's not going to say that lightly. No. Yeah. Um, that is a statement that he threw down there. It is. And I got to tell you, and I thought Anna was going to be upset with me in the last chapter, and she wasn't. She might be now, so stay tuned. But uh, I didn't bring this up in the last chapter, that's why. But I gotta tell you, through the first two books, the character of Tom Riddle is fascinating me more and more and more. Because I'm digging into the character of him more. Mm -hmm. Like, who the person is, not who the... Like, everybody thinks Lord Voldemort. Right, you're thinking more Tom Riddle Like, who is he really? Yeah. And through these first two books, and especially with the chapter that we had in the era of Slytherin, and him, and that presence that he has, it's and then this quote by Dumbledore right here, I'm kind of getting a little bit more intrigued by the character of Tom Riddle. So I wouldn't say I'm intrigued by the character of Tom Riddle. I think I am more becoming sympathetic that's an to interesting the people. choice of words. yeah and it was <laughs> chosen very specifically i am more sympathetic to people who fell under his charm and i was i ah, actually thought about this a lot in the last episode when we were talking about 
you know, I, I thought about it a lot. I almost said it a couple times in the last episode, but I never felt like it fit quite in. When we were talking about his charm and how he was at Hogwarts and how he knew Shoot, how he to be charmed to me in that monologue in the <laughs> Like, I feel like yeah. little 16-year-old Anna, yeah. if she had been going to school with Tom Riddle, I'm pretty sure I would have had a crush on him. Like, like Dumbledore just said, he's the most brilliant student Hogwarts has ever seen. He's very charming. He knows how to act around people. Like, I There's think, a lot of context to the word brilliant, too. Brilliant, right. people think just intelligence, like smarts, which mm-hmm. obviously he has. But brilliant can have different connotations to it. And I think he fits every single one of them. Absolutely. And uh, I just, you know, find myself... Well, Dare I say, was... like, a fan of the character of Tom Riddle? Well, because he hasn't, like, really shown his true colors yet. You know, like, there's a reason, and Dumbledore says it in this chapter, that not very many people recognized Lord Voldemort as the boy who yeah. was once the Hogwarts student, Tom mm-hmm. Riddle. So, like, I think it can be you know, forgiven and understandable if you're fascinated, intrigued, almost kind of like 16-year-old Tom Riddle because he knew how to make himself that way. Whereas by the time Lord Voldemort shows up on the scene, I'd like to think both of us, you know, maybe we're fascinated by his ability and, you know, can recognize He's a formidable character in a lot of different ways. I would like to think we would, you know... I would no longer be crushing on him. Fingers crossed. There's there's reasons for that, um, which are spoilery. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and where yeah, and why that Tom Riddle to Voldy, how we get from point A to point B, right, uh, is more spoilery. But um, I, and it just hit me through you know the last chapter and early in this chapter, I'm just like. Do I actually like the character of Tom Riddle? I think I do. Is this weird? And I it's started, not. I had this like yeah. <laughs> identity crisis in myself <laughs> of like, wait a minute, why do I like this character so much? Why do I want I, more of this character? I this still weird. don't think I like the character, but that's probably only because I'm already influenced by the fact I know where he goes. Like, well, I get like, that. That's true, why I'm 100% having that. Like, I think we both like to be total honesty with ourselves, lots of self-reflection. I think we know ourselves well enough that, like, if we only knew Tom Riddle, the student, yeah, we probably kind of would have liked him. Everybody did. Yeah. Yeah. And it... I didn't get mad at you. You didn't. I'm I'm proud of you. Our relationship is growing here on this podcast. It's amazing. I'll find another way later. I'm sure you will. (laughs) Um, so there's that quote that Dumbledore drops about Riddle, which is significant and should not be taken lightly. Uh, then Arthur has this quote, uh, once he learns more about the diary and what the diary was. It's one of my favorite quotes in the entire series. It's a great quote, and I'm a little upset that they didn't have it in the movie, but... Yeah. Uh, or the scene, for that matter. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, after he learns what the diary is and how it acted and how it, uh, influenced his daughter... He says, haven't I taught you any, I'm paraphrasing this part, I have the actual quote here in a second, but haven't I taught you anything? Like, don't you pay attention to what I do for a living? And then the quote is, never trust anything that can think for itself if you can't see its brain. Or it keeps its brain. It's a, it's a great, it's a great line. Oh, it's so, I love it. I love it. And it's such a dad moment too. It is. Uh, Yeah. I feel like Arthur doesn't get enough love in the first two books. Oh, definitely not. Like uh, it's a it's a lot of and and we are a little guilty of it on this podcast because it's Molly. It's a lot of Molly, Molly, Mo- not Molly on our <laughs> podcast, but like <laughs> Molly, Molly Weasley. Yeah, it's a lot of Molly Weasley uh, for good reason. But Arthur has some moments. He does, and I think we've recognized that. I hope we've done enough because uh, Arthur deserves it. Well, I think we've mostly just rec- like we've stated he doesn't get enough love, and then we've moved on. <laughs> So maybe we are guilty of not giving him that love. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Arthur, I got you at some point. We will give you all yeah. of your just uh, just due. So. And this quote, man, all the love. Oh, it's a great quote. For this quote. And, it, and this is one um, that just jumps off the page yeah. at you. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just great. 
Uh, we already talked about Ron kind of being the first one when Stumbledore mentions like, oh yeah, um, they're administering administering the Mandrake juice, I think he called it. I think he did call it that, that, yeah. That was weird is, to me. That was a little weird, yeah. So Mandrake juice they is what's being... They those Mandrake babies through a juicer. <laughs> I mean, we've had that discussion about Mandrake's... Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to go back there. No, you're just PTSD of Mandrakes living their lives to their best capabilities and then getting chopped up and stewed into apparently a ju- Whatever, anyway. Okay, moving on, Ron and Hermione. <sighs> anyway, so yes, Ron is the first one to be like, oh, that means Hermione is going to be okay. And I loved that moment because I think, and you know, like, Julie talked a lot about Ron's Gryffindor moments throughout the book, and I feel like Hermione was behind so much of them throughout this book. Yeah. Like, that moment where he looks at her empty seat in Lockhart's classroom, and it's just like, Hermione being petrified is always what stiffened his resolve. And now she's back, and he's so happy. It's so cute. Yeah, he, he's had his moments, but I, I he's always stepped up to save Harry, yes, but also yeah. her in, in a lot of ways. Because, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, he took the sacrifice in the chess game in, yes. in book one. yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to that. So, um, that was a moment that jumped out. Uh, and then <laughs> I like McGonagall being the most McGonagall ever and, and just being like, I'll leave you to deal with Potter and Weasley, making them think they're about to be expelled for saving everyone. It's such a McGonagall God, line. I love her so much. So much. Like... And then Dumbledore is like, yes, I got this. You have special services <laughs> to the school, and you're getting 200 points apiece for Gryffindor. It's just such... I wonder if they, like... Do they, we talked about them having peer moments amongst each other. Yeah. Like, do you think they figure out ways to torture the students just a little bit before they give them, like, a reward of some sort? Like, do you yeah. think, bef- like, once they figure out that they're okay or whatever, or they get the whatever word comes through... McGonagall's gonna like if they pull this off. Here's how we're gonna handle this. I'm gonna make it look like they're expelled, and then just t- soft toss it up to you to knock it out. Of- I do also think there's a lot of moments though where like McGonagall is like the mom enforcing the rules, and then like she thinks like Dumbledore's gonna be the dad coming in to back her up, and instead he's like the candy man. <laughs> he's just like actually <laughs> here you go, and she's just sitting there, she's like Albus. <laughs> I also see that very much, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I like I like that quick turnaround. Um, <laughs> it's one or the other, no in between. They, ha- I love the panic, the sheer panic in Ron and Harry, where they're like, "Are we just being expelled right now? <laughs> Do we just save my sister and now we're done?" Also, it should not go understated that in their second year, second year, mm-hmm. their second year, they're awarded special services to the school. That, I think that four hundred points for Gryffindor. That what is? What do you think the record is for points awarded at one point? Ooh, I don't know. Two hundred points apiece. I mean, that's yeah, that's obviously a lot. That's obviously a game changer. Dumbledore has been known to have some shady math at the end of years. <laughs> so I mean, think about that's the comparison between how many points they got for completing source the trials and Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, and Neville with this. his ten points and Aww. yeah, yep. Uh-huh. I know, that really upset you. It's just funny math. It's like, really? Dumbledore writing on a napkin, like, doing... And you gotta add the one here. And no, like, he's not doing the math. It's literally like, Nerva, how many more do I need? And you wonder why Snape is upset after every, like, come on, that was totally... Uh, whatever. <laughs> I still loved it. But yes, they got special services to the school... In their second year, which is Do we think the special service to Tom Mm -hmm. got taken away and Harry and Ron swooped in? Uh, I don't know how you can have that. I don't know how you could have had it anyway. Because it's not like Albus doesn't know. He clearly knows. (laughs) So... Well, there was no specific proof before this moment that... Tom didn't actually find the person who opened the Chamber of Secrets the first time. Yeah, but... For Dumb- all they knew, it really was. Even Riddle said Dumbledore was always suspicious of him. Like, when he was in yeah, school. Yeah, being it, suspicious He's always not had his eye on me. 100% proof. 
Now we have proof, and the special award can go in a cauldron and be melted. Anyway, we, we kind of teased it in the last chapter a little bit about Lockhart <laughs> and his new kind of uh, his new kind of personality after the memory charm backfired on him. And Dumbledore notes it. He's like, Gilderoy, you've been awfully quiet. Yeah, you've been really oddly quiet uh, for this kind of moment. Um, and then Ron steps in and was like, yeah, about Dumbledore's like, oh, oh, well. And I think he says, dear <laughs> Another me. special service to the school for you, Ron Weasley. <laughs> you got rid of Gilderoy. He says, dear me, twice. And then he, in this really serious moment, he's like, yeah, I got to pen a letter to the Daily Prophet. Why? To find a new <laughs> defense against the dark arts teacher. Which then brings up a whole line of questioning about, like, how do those interview processes work? Which would be really interesting. I think they go to an in room and he just interviews them. There's some spoiler aspects to this as well. <laughs> you would have known that if you had just moved on. Anyway. Anyway. Then we have what is quickly becoming a tradition of Dumbledore and Harry chat one on one to end a year. James Bond debrief. <laughs> yes, it's the James Bond debriefing of his mission. <laughs> and. Dumbledore and Harry have a very important chat. Yes. Where they uh, discuss the transfer of power from Voldy to Harry that possibly took place um, when he was attacked the first time. Yeah. And. Which I have kind of a spoilery thought about that conversation. Okay. So, anyway. And then Harry obviously asks, you know, so was I wrong to be put in Gryffindor? Well, because they were talking about the similarities between Riddle. That was the first thing that Harry brought up was his concern over the fact that Riddle brought up the similarities oh, yeah, yeah. between them. Yep. And Dumbledore asked him, like, okay, what do you think about that? Very therapist-like. And then Harry just got real defensive. He's like, but I'm in Gryffindor. And that's when he finally, after all of this, like, angst throughout the book, brings up and tells Dumbledore for the first time that the Sorting Hat told him he'd have done well in Slytherin. And that's when Dumbledore tells him that he thinks he might have transferred, Voldemort might have transferred some of his own powers to Harry the night before. So he never really, like, he doesn't ask. Well, I think there's, because there's a great quote from Dumbledore. And the quote is, it is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are for far more than our abilities. It's a great quote. Oh my god. That's a great quote. Well, it's on our intro. And it's yes. so good. <laughs> yeah, you might have heard it before. So I like that interaction between Dumbledore and Harry because yes, it is a, th a therapist like conversation of oh just my like god, it's such a therapist -like leading the person to come to the conclusion without saying, like, hey, you gotta do this. But also it's a teacher moment too, of just like, you know this answer, and you know the correct answer. Just come on, right. you're you're right there, like. And then, like the pride when Harry does finally get there, and pointing out like it's important the fact that you chose Gryffindor. That is the most important part. Like I can't tell you how many times throughout my life since I first read this book that I come back to this quote. I think I included this quote in papers I wrote throughout college. Like it's such a huge statement. It's yeah. No, I, I agree. It's Dumbledore is full of amazing quotes. And <laughs> it's it's why a lot of people, you know, fall in love with the character of Dumbledore mm -hmm. for and good reason, because he is this wise, all-knowing, seemingly all-powerful, you know, character who just drops these tidbits of pure wisdom that we can use in our actual reader lives yeah. in the real world. And it's it's beautiful. Um, and there's so many of them, which are great. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to choose. We should do, like... <laughs> uh, you're listening to this now. We just finished our, you know, House of Champions, like, character bracket. Mm, yeah. One of these days, we should do, like, a Dumbledore quotes bracket. Ooh, I like that idea. That'd be really cool. I have no idea how I'm going to fit that in with characters and stuff like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the characters you have to type in. Yeah, that'd be rough. But I'm here for it. But it'd be so 
cool and hard. You should do that. Oh, it'd be great. Next March, look out for it. Um, <laughs> Way to give yourself a year. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, uh, no, but that, that chat between Dumbledore and Harry, which is, again, like I said, try, very, very quickly becoming a tradition after every year of Most like, definitely. hey, we got to talk. The choices over abilities thing uh, is, is just wonderful. And then, uh, unceremoniously, uh, we have a guest in the office. Lucius Malfoy makes yet another appearance. Random, but necessary. Uh, yeah, well, when he hears that the Dumbledore is back. Right, which I guess he would have as a governor. As a governor, yeah. when he realizes like he has been drastically outvoted on this. Mm. Um, which... How do you think he feels? Because Dumbledore calls him flat out on it. Yeah, he's he like, does. I I seem to hear that some of the governors feel that they were coerced in their previous vote in such a diplomatic way of just being like, yeah, that's a problem that we're going to have to address when I'm not in the presence of a 12-year-old child. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, my Dumbledore friend. We will get there. That. Just toss that in there. It's like, yeah, you're done as a governor. Yes, that that, that is the Dumbledore has some pull. Yeah. Uh, if if you haven't uh, figured that out in the first two books yet, he's got some pull. If the Ministry is calling on him for advice and things like that, he has some serious pull outside of the school. So yeah, I just like that idea of just Dumbledore being like, okay, when when this twelve year old isn't here, we're we're gonna talk. <laughs> like we're gonna. We're going to go You're over this. You're not even going to talk. You're just done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just like that idea. Um, even if it's my headcanon, I will have that headcanon. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I love that Lucius is being called out for it. And um, that he is... I, I kind of find it amazing that Lucius even has the guts to walk in there and be like, Dude, what are you doing here and why and no oh, i assume like he has this air like this arrogance about him well i think that's the key word right there well yeah but it's like i this, don't think he ever thought that he would get found out that but it's like this bravado that even though you have been found out even though that what you planned did not go the way you wanted and even just ousting dumbledore um to have the bravado to even walk into that office and be and confront him about it like, what does that say about Lucius? That he has that kind of confidence, if you want to say? I think it says he's had that privilege throughout his life. That he, you know, is just this pure blood, rich death eater who didn't have to go to Azkaban. I like that Dumbledore called him out on that, too. He's like, well, the yeah. Weasley families are one of our dearest pure yes. blood families. Yeah. yeah. No, I liked that line, Dumbledore too. just was throwing daggers at him oh, the entire time. It was fantastic. Just haymakers yeah. on Lucius the entire conversation, with without even like raising his voice. Yeah. And Harry with probably like a smirk on his face and a twinkle in his eye. I don't even know that Harry picked up on just how much Dumbledore was probably enjoying this moment of just being like, <laughs> "Hold on, I gotta get loose before I just unleash this hail of like." You guys, Dan is literally stretching. Right oh yeah, now. I'm like, oh man. I'm just thinking Dumbledore just relished this so much. Oh, yeah. How could he not? It, it's Dumbledore has been very, very humble these first two books. And I think this is like as close as he gets to just being like rubbing it in someone's face. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just like, how do you like me now? I got you. Like, I don't know. Anyway, I love it. I love it. I love it when Dumbledore just gets a little bit petty. It's great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway. There might be no better example than this conversation. Yes. I, you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there is one more aspect to this. Oh, uh, my the favorite. Scene. This is a scene that I do actually enjoy in the movie. Um, for one reason and one reason only. It's because I uh, love Jason. Oh, Isaacs. my God. He's the perfect Lucius Malfoy. I did. And yeah. the story of him getting the role yes. is even better. Yeah. It just makes it that much better. Oh, yeah. Because he didn't want to play another villain in a movie. And they told him that he was auditioning for Lucius. And he got all grumpy and all surly. And they're like, yes, that. We need that. Great. It's so great. <laughs> but uh, the scene plays out. Obviously, Dobby has entered the room with Lucius because apparently Lucius was 
in the middle of having his shoes shined or whatever. That makes sense. Yeah, it's... We shouldn't focus too much on why Dobby is here in this I scene. I don't even care. Dobby is here, and I'm here for any scene that that elf is in. I, I And I'm, I'm 100% backing you on that. It's just... Plot-wise, is convenient. Because <laughs> there's really no real reason for him to be there. But anyway. It happens. It happens. So, he's there, but... In the books, Lucius punts him out of the room. Yeah. And they weren't going to do that in the movie until Jason Isaacs decided, for whatever reason, to just turn around. Obviously, Dobby is a CGI character in the movies. So he just turned around and made a kicking motion. And the director's like, cut, 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 cut. Uh, can someone dry up that spot that you know Jason slipped on? He's like, what are you talking about? I didn't slip. That was me punting Dobby. And they're like... Oh, <laughs> yeah, let's keep that. And he did I just so like many that things like that throughout the movies he was in. He's just so good. That that was my favorite part. There was a part to this scene, which is not in the books, where he, he literally does the, uh, the Avada, like he's about to mm. curse Harry. That makes me really angry in the movies. It makes me angry, and yeah. it also, I don't think does Jason Isaacs uh, a service there. I don't think it's some of his best work. And I think it's also on the editing and the direction of the movie because it's like you close up on his face and it was, it was a weird, it's a weird scene. Like you didn't need it. You just didn't need right. it. But I also like this version of how Dobby gets the sock better. Agreed. Agreed. Because it's yeah. more natural, I think. Yep. But anyway. And he's, his joy is just so... <sighs> but here's my thing, though. Here's the thing about it. When Lucius gets this book in a sock, I a sweaty, even touch the sock. like, blood-covered, probably, sock, like, whatever. covered Yeah, sweat. it's just awful. It's yeah. awful. But he gets this sock, and he rips the book out of it and tosses the sock to the side. There's two things here. Is he so, like uncaring about Dobby that he literally does not recognize Dobby's presence in the general direction that he threw the sock? Yes. Or does he throw the sock randomly and Dobby's just like running over <laughs> wide receiver? He's like the next like, wide receiver. Like Dobby's just running oh. like a wide receiver and just jumps up and is like mine! And like high points the sock. And is like, this counts! I'm free! Like, I don't know. Well, I love that visual beyond words. Like, I love it so much. You just hear, like, little feet, like... <laughs> it's just like it jumps up. I got this! Mine! <laughs> Again, oh. not canon, but it's definitely my head canon right now. So I there it is. I love the visual, but yeah, no, that's not how it goes down. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. Whatever. But anyway, the, uh, so Lucius finds all of this out, uh, realizes Harry cost him his servant, lunges at him, and then Dobby just comes so full much force. Yes. Oh my God. Hard. Uh, just, just owned him. I mean, yeah. it was great. It's what Dumbledore wanted to do like five minutes ago, but couldn't. <laughs> but it's so, honestly, it's even more powerful than anything Dumbledore could have done. Like, it's so simple. It's so directed towards him protecting Harry Potter. Like, you will not harm Harry Potter. Like, it's so, it's the best he has done in protecting Harry, the whole book. It's probably the only time You mean he him trying to Harry. kill him with a bludger yeah. was not the ample... You know, quite, maybe not the best idea. He was thinking outside the box, you know. A for effort. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> But no, it's just, I love that visual of him standing there saying, no, using his magic within Hogwarts, sending that pure blood jerk flying. It's, it's great. It's such an empowering moment, mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. And liberating. Uh, without spoilers, I'm just going to tell our readers listening for the first time uh, to this podcast, that moment gets better with rereads. Just oh, yeah, it just everything with Dobie gets better with three reads. Yeah. All right, uh, that's a lot in the non-spoilers. <laughs> so we're gonna 
we're going to take a pause and then we'll get into the spoilers here in a second. Thanks for listening, guys. Amazing! This is just like magic! And we're back from break. And sadly, this might be the last time that you get the just like magic Aww. break sound. I know. That's so sad. I almost want to carry it through just because it's so awesome. Uh, We're going to have to find a new one for book three. But anyway, uh, we wanted to start out with uh, something that you said you wanted to talk about in the spoiler section. Transfer of power from Voldy to Harry. Oh, well, it's mostly just kind of not making fun of Harry. But like, so when Dumbledore talking about, you know, the transfer of power idea, Harry literally, exact quote. Voldemort put a bit of himself in me, Harry said, thunderstruck, page 333 in the American version. (laughs) Like, somehow, though, in all the years and all of his Horcrux lessons, after that, like, explicit conversation, he never makes the connection that he himself is a Horcrux. Yeah, that... Does Dumbledore make that connection right then and there? Maybe. Like, how, how quick do you think Dumbledore is thinking right here? I mean, I think he's thinking pretty darn quick. Cause he's I got- mean, I think he knows that he it's going deeper than any of the thoughts he's having right now. But I think he knows, like... Like, the second he sees that diary, and here's what Harry told him, mm-hmm. do you think in his head he's going like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, I this is a real problem. Think- I think he's thinking, like, this is it. This is how Voldemort survived. And, like, now maybe we can figure it out. Like, I have a path to go down and figure out how to finally defeat him. Because I can understand Harry, well, I guess Harry later. Harry later not figuring it out. Well, like, when he's, like, I'm thinking mostly, like, book six and seven. He's been through a lot of stuff by that point. He could have forgotten that specific conversation. Touche. He's not always the brightest. But, like, I think it just, like, hit me. Like, I guess I just never realized that, like, he literally was, like... He put himself, a piece of himself in me? Like, Harry actually said the words. Yep. Yes, yeah, in book six, that should come back around at some point yeah. and be like, hey, wait a minute. Right. But, but it, and that's why I said Dumbledore has that inclination by book six at that point. Of oh, like, yeah. Hey, that's a real possibility. <clears throat> so I wonder just how fast Dumbledore's mind is working here. Like, And, and he's got other things going on. He's got to address the Weasleys. He's got to... Right schooled run still he's got Lucius just like waiting to like come at him he's got a lot on his plate gamekeeper to get back from prison he's got the ministry that probably is wanting to knock down his door he's got a lot going on but I wonder if he's thinking like shoot this is bad yeah and I have to (laughs) people think it's bad they have no idea just how bad this actually is and I can't potentially if this is a problem I got to solve, man. <laughs> and I think you've brought up um, in a previous episode, it's like, how much does he lean on maybe McGonagall? We know he leans on Snape yeah, as like a sounding board or like a, hey, this is not a great situation here. How are we going to deal with this? How, how much do you think McGonagall's let in on any of this? Not enough. And yeah. I mean, I, that was my response last time too. It just frustrates me. I, I feel like she could have helped him. Like, Dumbledore kept so much so tight. And you know what? Harry struggles with that, too. And we don't have to talk about that a ton because it's so much of Harry's journey in Deathly Hallows. But, and, like, how he wants to handle it differently than Dumbledore did. But how much could have potentially been different for Harry, for Dumbledore himself, would Dumbledore have survived if he had maybe, you know, not played it so close to the vest? I th- Well, Dumbledore has, we just spoke about how wise and all-knowing and all-powerful Dumbledore is and why many people have fallen in love with the character based on many of these quotes that we keep bringing up right. are so spectacular. But we've also mentioned Dumbledore has faults. Big faults. And I struggled some with of it a lot in book seven. That first read... It was really troublesome to me. Like, I was basically the same as Harry. Yeah. It is, it's not kind, his fall from Which, the pedestal. It's, I was actually, this is random. I was actually thinking about this on, on a recent drive. And I was thinking about how 
we shouldn't expect perfection. No one, no right. one is perfect. Yeah. So why are we so knocked on our butt by Dumbledore having flaws? Uh, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be surprising. He is human. He kind of sets himself up as, like, not human, though. Because, like, you just said he... Does he set himself up that way, or do others place him on that pedestal? He sets himself up. I mean, you just... We just said it in the non-spoiler section. He always has his James Bond debrief at the end of every book where he explains it all to us. Like, he is literally set up to be the character who he has the answer to every question. I... I think, you know... He, not just McGonagall and not just Snape, who are two phenomenally talented wizards, whatever you, mm-hmm. is, witches and wizards, whatever you have to say about Snape, and you have a lot to say about Snape. But he is phenomenally talented. Yeah. He's sharp. He, he And he is a good asset to have. He's a phenomenal asset to have, yeah. yes. But beyond those two, who are obvious choices to consult with, Flitwick is exceptionally talented with what he can do. Sprout is spectacularly talented in what she can do. Each of the heads of houses have their particular talents, which can be useful. Uh, Whether the other teachers want to admit it or not, Hagrid, who joins them, also has particular talents that he can, that Dumbledore can use. Mm -hmm. And which he does. (laughs) He does try to utilize them. And I think and I think Dumbledore, we talked about sources, and we've talked about portraits and how they play a role, and we've talked about how he has his sources in Albania, that you know, whatever. <laughs> Dumbledore does use his, but... He uses them. He doesn't trust them. Yeah. So he uses his sources, but also, I guess similarly, if he was ever to be compared with Tom Riddle in any way, shape, or form, he is kind of a user of people. Oh, yeah. And not in a good way. He's He puts people out front and as pawns to get stuff done. Here's a phrase for you. For the greater good. Good, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, guys, we could do a whole episode on just... Breaking down Albus Dumbledore. As, oh my god, one episode wouldn't even. Be and enough. as we've proven, yeah. we could also spend an entire episode breaking down Tom Riddle, and we can do an episode breaking down Snape, and we can do. There's so much depth to these characters across the board, which makes the series great, which is why we love it, which is why we're sitting here doing a podcast. Yeah, it. yeah, it's it's just kind of interesting to see where Dumbledore goes. I think this is a point that we need to like mark down. In the, the Harry Potter series, right now, this chapter, him mm-hmm. having the diary in his possession, this is a crux of a point, not a horcrux. Yeah, it is a horcrux of a point, but it is a, cr- a crux. It is a turning of the series. point in this whole yeah. story. And what he does from here on matters. Oh yeah, and. He makes some great moves, and he makes some not-so-great moves. And it's a point from here that I think we, as a podcast, need to kind of put that dot on the map and connect as we continue on and go through and start dissecting, like, hey, where's where's Dumbledore at in his process here? Yeah. I think it's really fascinating to just kind of mark this point. Anyway, <laughs> to move off of... Dumbledore for a second. I do have a what if question for you. You, you posed a what if question to me I love last time you were on. I'll pose a what if question to you. Uh, what if Riddle's father mm. never abandoned him and never abandoned the family? What happens to Tom Riddle? I think there's a lot of layers to that what if. Honestly, I don't know that it would change all that much. I mean, if anything, it makes him more similar to Snape than it would to Harry. Because, all right, so Tom Riddle's father. Spoiler section. He didn't enter that 
relationship willingly. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is that is a that is not there was no that is setting true. up a loving family in that situation. That like is that fair. was even if say she stopped giving him the love potion, he found out he was going to be a parent and he made the choice to stay. I don't think there's a loving father being built up there. I think there is a man being set up for bitter resentment who's going to take it out on Tom Riddle. I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I... No, I think that's fair. But no good comes from a relationship set up on falsehood manipulation. No, but it was just an interesting what if, like, what if his family... Because we talked in one of the previous podcasts about Harry and if Harry's dynamic changes, mm-hmm. yeah. what happens to Harry's trajectory? Right. Well, if Riddle's trajectory changes and these two are connected for better or for worse in a bunch of different ways. What if Tom Riddle's trajectory was changed by yeah. his living situation instead of being sent to an orphanage and resenting everybody, resenting his muggle father and resenting well, you know, all this stuff. I mean, I think he's always going to resent his muggle father. Maybe he wouldn't resent his mother as much because I think he always was disgusted by the fact that his mother died. So maybe, you know, if his mother didn't die in childbirth, maybe his obsession with immortality never manifests. And so maybe then he doesn't go down the Horcrux line. That would be an Mm -hmm. interesting take on it. Man, just an interesting thought since we've already went down the, the hairy route with this. Uh, and Riddle's father was brought up, and yeah. and the parallels between the, oh, the yeah. two were brought up. So just a, just an interesting thing. Well, and I think it's that time we're closing a book, and it's so sad. I know it's it's flown by. Uh, it's kind of hard to believe, but um, since we're here wrapping up the chapter and we're wrapping up the book, do you have any kind of thoughts or? comments on the the book or or some of the previous thoughts and podcast and the podcast episodes or so i have two main thoughts and i'll let you i'm just gonna throw them out there okay and let you roll with them as you will Uh one i feel like i've said before that i think chamber of secrets is hugely underrated and i would go so far as to say chamber of secrets is the Third most dangerous book of events that Harry and company find themselves in. Like, I think the only books that Harry is put in more danger in are Deathly Hallows and Order of the Phoenix. I think this book is so, it's so important to me. Point two. This book is, like, really emotional to me. Like, there's so many emotional aspects, particularly at the very end of the book. I mean, I'm will tell anybody and everybody how often I cry at different parts of the Harry Potter books. But the end of Chamber of Secrets, I tear up at quite a few different moments. Anything specific that jumps out at you? Quite a few. So one that really hits me that I think maybe doesn't hit any everybody and anybody, probably Elizabeth notices it. But that moment when the teachers find out that Ginny has been taken... Into mm. the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, I love that. I love it's that moment. It's huge. It says so much about teachers and the importance of their students. Even Snape. I was just about to ask you, what did you? What yes. was your thought on that? I mean, it stands out. Like even Snape is visibly upset. Wants to like you know do something. Is horrified. Like it just it says a lot about you know those characters, teachers as a profession that I don't think get enough recognition. It hits them. They've lost a student to the creature. It's their worst fear of all of this stuff. And it's happened. So that's really emotional to me. All of the different Weasleys when they thought they lost Ginny. Really emotional, obviously. Um, We talked a lot in the last episode just about the bravery of Harry and Ron going to the chamber to face, you know, the serpent of Slytherin with only the slimmest hope of saving Ginny. That's really emotional to me. And then I kind of mentioned it before, but just everything Ginny went through, like, yikes, that's, it just, yeah, so those are the points that no. made me really emotional. I, I agree with you that uh, having reread Chamber of Secrets for the first time in admittedly a long time, 
it is definitely an underrated book. Yeah. That I think people so look over important things. so often. And <clears throat> again, I think it's a detriment that the movie exists. Yeah. yeah. Because movie is not my favorite movie. No. Uh, I don't hate it, but again, it's one of those things where when you read the book and then you compare it to the movie, you're very disappointed. Yeah. Uh, by many things, and it doesn't ever truly grasp the tone or the importance of this book. And you can, um, I'm going to say this as a take, uh, but you can cut out scenes. Uh, you can cut out moments that happen in the book. If you cut out the, the true meaning or the true tone or the true message behind the book, I, that I think is a bridge too far almost. Oh yeah. And I feel like that's almost what happens here. It's mm -hmm. like, as far as like a scene for scene, they do a pretty decent job except for some details some major details in some scenes. But reading this book, I think they do a terrible job of translating, like, the depth of this yeah. to the movie. The depth of the fear, the depth of the panic, depth of the devastation when a student is taken into the chamber. It's, you're right, they definitely don't communicate any of that well enough in the movie. And I, we talked a lot about it, but the Air of Slytherin chapter, just how that scene is different from from point to point mm -hmm. and it just doesn't hit the same yeah it's not like they didn't have the acting talent like they could have done yeah yeah and and i get it it's a movie for kids it's yeah. geared for kids more but than chris columbus adults. did some stellar work with sorcerer's stone so it's just a shame it didn't carry yeah. over in the chamber and maybe it was one of those things where it's like hey these are some more adult themes do we want to really dive in? Yeah. Uh, is that really the audience that we're going for? Whatever. Um, so this book to me, I think really represents that jump up to that next level of mm. now we're going like now there's yeah. a real, real threat here. It's not hidden anymore. It is there. There's no introducing you to the wizarding world anymore. There's no, it, like, you're in the thick of it now. I think her subtle writing does her favors in that it's wonderful writing. But it doesn't do her favors in, in, in tips like this, where it's like, people might shove this one to the side. She probably does it in Half-Blood Prince, too, quite a bit, where it's like, some subtleties to it, where it's like, you go back on rereads and you're like, oh, I appreciate this bit more. Yeah. Uh, because I'm now looking at it through a different lens, yeah. a more critical or a more whatever lens, and you're like, wow, this is better than I probably thought on the first read, even though I liked it on the first read. I was going to say, I still wish I could go back to my first read, though. The only memory I have from the first read of this book was the, the, the riddle monologue, and me just being like, wow, this is... this is intense. <laughs> and, I, you know, I liked it, but I liked it even that much more on this, this read. Oh, yeah. When it just sinks in, you're just like, this dude is insane but he's calculating and he's menacing and he knows how to play every nerve in your body to get what he wants out of it. It's when you're grown up enough to appreciate yeah. those aspects of it. Like I, I sometimes wonder if, you know, I was experiencing my first read of the series as an adult instead of as a 12 year old child mm -hmm. how much more of the subtleties and intricacies i would have picked up on it and you know seeing them as the hints that you're talking about as opposed to like okay that was a fun story now on to the next one i'm just always jealous of people who are reading harry potter for the first time yeah it's uh it is such a wild ride and i kind of like doing this where i get to look at it more Critically, and not in a bad mm -hmm. way. I mean, yeah, we're pointing out some things that maybe don't make sense 100%, or I wouldn't say plot holes necessarily, but it's like, oh, that's convenient. <laughs> but right, we're like, like you've been saying, we're looking at it with a different lens. And like, I, I reread a random Harry Potter book every couple months, but I haven't done a read like this 
I don't know, probably since my first read through. And it's been, it's been very eye-opening. It's been very cool to the things you do pick up on and things you didn't realize even happen by just casually reading them every so often for fun and happiness. I think all of us that have been on this podcast uh, have said at one time or another, our imaginations get lit up by this book Mm -hmm. and we get so kind of lost in this world. And I know that's for me specifically, like how I've always read this book. I liked to just dive right in Mm -hmm. and, kind of immerse myself in the world when I'm reading it. Now I'm not as much doing that. Right. Um, On this read specifically, it's more of an analytical approach, but A, that hasn't taken away the joy of reading it. Correct. And B, it's allowed me to kind of view things differently or pick up on things that I had never even Mm -hmm. put together. And I, um, (laughs) we were talking about it a, a little bit, but, um, how cool it was when I made that discovery with Julie about uh, Riddle and the the egg thing. Oh, yeah. That is, I, I never made that connection at all. Never even thought about it. It is a wild. So if, if you didn't catch the, the episode with Julie, what I'm referring to is Tom Riddle framed Hagrid in, uh, for the first Chamber of Secrets opening by knowing that he got, uh, Aragog as an egg from a traveler and then brings it back almost 50 years later to get information out of Hagrid by posing as a traveler, giving him an egg. He brought the same gag back because he learned. He learned. And he remembered And remembered and is like, I can use this at some point later, possibly. That's the subtlety that I'm like talking like, I've read this book. I, yeah, I haven't read it in a while, but I probably read the book like... I don't know, a dozen times, maybe? Never put that together in my life. And on this and this read, I get that. And it's such a subtle thing. It's so minute and in the background. But you're just like... But it's also just kind of like mind exploding. Like, oh, wow. Totally. Oh, Again, man. most brilliant student Hogwarts has ever seen. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's... <laughs> and then you get lost in the book again. And you're like, wow, Riddle is so amazing. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, wait, JK wrote this. She's really amazing at this whole writing thing. Uh, she's got to be amazing at something. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, I don't know. That's kind of where my thoughts, you know, with this book kind of dwell. And uh, I actually am looking forward to my next reread of Chamber of Secrets. Oh, yay. So... How have you been feeling about the podcast? Are you happy with where the podcast is going? Yeah, we're we're growing. Uh, the podcast is growing nicely, uh, which is awesome. We're, Thanks, guys. We're happy to kind of have this growth uh, from book one to book two. We've seen quite a bit. And uh, I know we have listeners from outside the United States. We're based <laughs> in the United States. Uh, we're getting listens from Canada and Germany and the UK, and Belgium, and it's exciting, and we thank all of you. It's really cool to kind of think that our voices are kind of going across the the world. I'm a traveler, so I love it. Uh, I I love going to all of those places. So, no, it's really cool. We're happy uh, that you guys seem to like what we're we're putting out there, and uh, I know our our socials, our social media has kind of boomed too. Um, so again, thank you to you for helping out with uh, Instagram so much. Uh, for those that aren't in the know or the behind the scenes of the podcast, she got locked out of the Instagram. <laughs> I did. For like Guys, a week. went into such a panic. I was like, I can't do this right now. <laughs> this is so much. I can't do it. I was like, I'm just trying to get something out here. Okay. And, uh, but no, I, I thanked you because uh, if it wasn't clear before, I very much appreciate what you're doing Aww. on that side. And um, Elizabeth with the Twitter has done miraculous work with that. And, yeah, she's really intense. Um, well done, Elizabeth. Yeah, it's it's grown exponentially since she has kind of helped out with that. Uh, yeah, I'm on I'm on both, and I post on both. But obviously, he does. He does. Uh, you two ladies have done uh, a wonderful, wonderful job, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to see it, and it's exciting to see the listens go up and up and up, and we hope that that continues. 
as we go into what many people consider their favorite book. <gasps> I'm so excited. Uh, James you, Potter, here I come. If you were worried about Anna not being on any more episodes, I think she'll want to be on Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm a done times. after Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. She's, she's, <laughs> hopefully she's still on the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, uh, yeah, any other thoughts on, on Chamber of Secrets as we wind it down? No, just just that I love it. As do I. I uh, just getting to read it this time through uh, really sunk in how good the book is. So with that, we are ending the Chamber of Secrets. Oh. And next week, we will be starting Prisoner of Azkaban. So we hope you all enjoy. We hope you stick with us. It's been amazing. It's been a blast. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.